Today's Bible passage is taken from two different places. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. And the New Testament passage is from Philippians 4, 10 to 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, and if you'd like to have one, we have Bibles at this table at the back. Uh, you can grab one. It's our gift to you. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me the strength. Um, allow me to pray, church, before we start. Heavenly Father, the way you have spoken on the mountain in Sinai, we ask that you will speak to us now in our hearts. Lord, help me to be clear, but we pray for your spirit to speak to us with conviction and also with encouragement that we have the Lord Jesus. This we pray in his name. Amen. You know, I've never seen an episode of uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and I don't think I would ever want to, but it's interesting how a show like this will be such a big hit. I mean, in case you don't know what it's about, it's really about, it's a reality show about a family. And really, that's it. <laughs> There's nothing special, just a family who wants to make their life public. And as a result, they become famous. And as they rise into fame, people get more addicted and they watch it more and more and more. Now, I'm sure it's not watched for good family principles because a lot of the times the conversations are quite provoc provocative. I'm sure it's not watched because there's so much to learn from them. Uh, one critic says that it's only popular because people are interested with their lifestyle, that we want to know how celebrities live their life day by day. It's about what viewers wish they could do about the money we all wish we can spend freely and worry about things in life that doesn't matter. That's what the critic says. And I think Kim Kardashian, and I don't, I don't, I don't ever thought I would quote her, but she said this from season one. She said that there's a lot of baggage that comes with us, but it's like a Louis Vuitton bag. You always want it. But she's admitting that they have a lot of baggage as a family. She's saying that we have so much problems. The way we interact with one another, it's messy. And yet, there is just something about us that you want for yourself. That there's something that makes you want to be a Kardashian. It's like an overpriced Louis Vuitton bag that you know is just another bag. And yet, because everyone else wants one, you tend to want one for yourself. And isn't this why we're so obsessed with celebrities, even though a lot of them don't really have real talents? It's because we envy them, we envy their lifestyle, we envy their money, their car, their house. We want to be in their situation. 
we dream that we can do what they're doing, and we're so envious of what they have. And they say that money makes the world go around. But I believe it's envy and greed that really powers it, that our economy grows from envy, that the housing market, for example, becomes overinflated as demand grows and supply decreases, that marketing, marketing is often about making people want something even though they don't really need it. And the worst part is that we are spoiled for choice today. And the other day, I went to Kohl's just to buy water because I was thirsty, and yet I was overwhelmed with the choices in front of me. There's soda water, sparkling water, tonic water, water with a hint of lemon, water with electrolytes, water from spring, water from the mountains of New Zealand, and the list goes on and on and on. I only wanted plain water, but I felt like I'm missing out if I don't try something different. And that's the thing. We don't want to miss out. Miss out on the experience, miss out on the happiness, and so we wonder, what type of water would Kim Kardashian drink? We want to keep up with the Kardashians. And so today we're talking about a commandment which, we, which I'm sure we're all guilty of, and not just once, but really on a very regular basis. It's the command, do not covet, meaning do not want what other people have. Or to put it positively, be content with what you have. Be content with what God has given you. And I want you to know three things in order to fulfill this commandment. And here are the three things. What it means to covet, what it means to be content, and what is the secret to contentment, right? What it means to covet, what it means to be content, and what the secret is. Let's start. What is coveting? Now, let me begin by saying that there is nothing wrong with wanting things, that there's nothing wrong with wanting better things. If you're not married, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be married or wanting to have children. If you're an employee, there's nothing wrong of dreaming to becoming an employer one day or owning your own business. It's reasonable if you want to move to a better suburb or even a bigger house. It's fine. In fact, it is good to have dreams and ambitions. It's, it's, it's important to have goals in our lives. The 10th commandment is not prohibiting us from aiming to have a better life. So what is it saying? What does it mean to covet? Now, there's two elements in coveting. Firstly, you want what belongs to someone else. It's wanting what other people have. It's comparing what you don't have and wanting what another person has. Notice in the passage in Deuteronomy, it says specifically, do not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall, not desire on your, uh, you shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, or his male or female servants, or his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. See, it doesn't say, do not want for yourself a good spouse or a good-looking wife. It doesn't say, avoid wanting to have a nice house or a good business, which is having servants and so on. 
That's not what God is saying. He's saying, do not desire specifically what belongs to someone else. It means do not compare what you don't have to what others have. It means there's a difference in saying, you know, I want to be married to a beautiful and loving spouse compared to thinking and saying to yourself, I want his wife or I wish he was my husband. See? That you can say to someone, hey, you really have a nice house. I love what you did to your kitchen. But quietly, you can say to yourself, they don't deserve that. I should be living there. See? There's a difference. That you can say, I want to be manager one day. That's my ambition. But to think, I deserve to be in that position, that's a sign of coveting. See, it's to desire someone else's position or possession. To be resentful because someone else has something better. It's to be jealous of someone else's career and wanting it for yourself. That's the first sign of coveting. And see, in James chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. That you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. That he's saying your attitude of desiring and coveting leads to something worse. That if you want someone else's spouse and you want it enough, it will eventually lead to breaking the sixth commandment. Do not commit adultery. If you want someone else's stuff and you will do anything just to get it, you can potentially break the eighth commandment. Do not steal. If you want someone else's job, and you start losing respect for that person. You might start sharing some gossip about them that are not true. And so you break the ninth commandment. Do not lie. You see, most of the time, the tenth commandment, do not covet, is really the first step in breaking the other commandments. That the previous commandments deals, deal with the actions, but the tenth commandment, commandment goes deeper because it deals with our attitude, with our heart. And so most of us have not murdered or committed adultery or even stole. But I'm certain that everyone here has coveted something from someone else. That we've been resentful. That we're jealous. We're, we're angry because we are so envious of someone else. Like, for example, when you're a child, your parent gives you this much allowance. You're thrilled. You're happy. After all, you, you had nothing before and you don't deserve it. You tell your friends, hey, my parents started giving me allowance, $2 a week. Your friends say, what? My dad gives me 20 All of a sudden, life seems so unfair. All of a sudden, you are unhappy. All of a sudden, you lose respect for your parents. You're angry and bitter towards them and your friend simply because... Someone else has more. A clear sign of a covetous heart. It happens in families. It happens in companies. And it happens in churches. Often when pastors gather for a conference and we introduce one another, the common question we ask is, hey, where do you guys meet? Meaning, where is, what is your building facility like? And secondly, we ask, hey, how many people do you have? We're asking, what is the size of your church? See, there's nothing wrong with learning, with comparing, because it, it helps us to seek to improve, but it is a sure temptation of measuring success by comparing ourselves to others. 
That's the first sign of coveting. That's not all. The other sign of coveting is turning your want, something that you want, into something that you need, right? A child gets a vanilla ice cream. He's happy, again. He's, he's thrilled. But he sees someone else with uh, he sees someone sees someone else with vanilla ice cream, but with all the toppings that you can get. It's drizzled with chocolate. There's a chocolate bar sticking out. It has candies all around. Again, suddenly he's unhappy. He cries. He throws himself on the floor. He says, "I need that." He, do he doesn't just want one; he needs it. It's when you start to say to yourself, I need to have this. I need to have this job or this career or, or, or else I'm a nobody or I can't be happy. I need to have this amount of money or else I won't make it in life. I need to be married or else my life is meaningless. If something that you want is keeping you awake at night, it's giving, it's giving you anxiety, it's making you angry because you don't have it and you need to have it, watch out. It can be a sign of coveting. And this is why it's part of the commandments. Because we think it's not that serious. Why is it there? Because often when we covet, we are substituting something else for God. We think that this thing, whatever it is, can give us only what God can. That we have elevated something in the place of God. And that's why in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in, among you. Sexual immorality, yeah, we can agree with that. Impurity, sure. Passion, evil desires. And covetousness, which is idolatry. To covet is to turn something into an idol, into a false god. It is basically worshiping that thing. And so we look at other people, we see what they have and how happy they look, and we say to ourselves, unless I have exactly that, I won't be happy as well. And as a result, we are enslaved by these desires. And so the reason we're unhappy, the reason we get so worried, the reason we get upset, the reason we get so miserable is because we're coveting something, and we think acquiring it is the solution to life. And so we've created an idol enslave our own desires, we give our life for this something thinking that it can give us the solution. That's what coveting is. Now let's look at the opposite, our point two, what it means to be content. In Philippians, Paul gives us a picture of what it means to be content in verses 11 to 12. He says, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says, when I was in need, I was fine. I was content. When I, was, when I have plenty, I was content. Whether I have heaps of food or hungry, I was content. And so here's the test. When you are in need, not just something that you want, when you have a need, right? You need a job, you need food, you need good health, you need friends. Paul says, I was able to be content even though I do not have these things that I need. Can we say that? Can you be content by saying, by saying whatever happens, it won't destroy me. 
Whatever the result is, I'm at peace. Whatever the result of my, of my pathology test, whatever the result of my HSC test, however my wife responds, whatever the boss says, I'm at peace, I'll be content. Can you say that? Or does fear and anxiety consume you? And here's the other test, which really applies to most of us. When you have plenty, when you have a secure job, when you have a bit of savings, when you're healthy, when you're surrounded by loved ones, by family and friends, when you have plenty, are you content? Meaning, are you worried of losing what you have? Does your security and your identity come from your plenty? The real test of whether you're, you're of real contentment is if you can handle being in need and having plenty. Can you say, I can do without and I don't need these things to make me happy. Are we able to say what Job said when God suddenly took everything away from him? He said this, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had family, friends, a mansion, the great business, great health. God took it all away. But in the end, he said that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a content man. Godly contentment is when no matter what we're going through, no matter how much we have, we can praise God and trust Him. It is to put our security, our identity, our happiness on the giver and not on the gift. It's when we can say, God is enough. See, if I ask you right now, right now, what will bring you contentment? What, what will be something that if you get it right now, you can say, you know what, that's all I need. I'm content in life if I just have this one thing. It's not much, just this. Well, some of you might say, well, if I get a good mark in my exams, I'll be content. I just want to get to this university or I just want to get to this career. It's not much. All I need is to get this pathway to this career. I'll be content. Maybe you say, you know what? I, I just want enough money just to put a house deposit. I don't want millions. I don't want someone giving me a house. I just want enough to put a down payment for a house. Then I'll be content. That's not a big ask. Or you might say, I just want good health, and I'll be content. Or I just need a short break. I just need a holiday, and I'll be fine. That's all I need. I just need a break. See, most of us can name something that we can think can bring us peace and contentment and rest. Most, most of us can name a solution to solve our problems right now. But we know our problems doesn't end because there will always be something else that we'll want later on. We can always think of something better that can make us happier. And anything aside from God, we know won't truly satisfy. Anything aside from God, the Bible says, doesn't give us rest and contentment. Which leads us to our final point. What's the secret to contentment. Paul says, I have learned the secret. That contentment is something that you learn. All right? It's not obvious. It's also a secret. It's a mystery. It's not common sense. It's not something that you can just figure out yourself. It's something, right? It's, it's, something, it's not something that you can easily name. 
And what's the secret? What's the mystery that he's talking about? See, in Buddhism, in the religion Buddhism, we are told that the reason why we suffer is because we have too much desires. It says that Buddhism says the reason we feel pain and hurt and depression is because we love too many things. You want a bigger TV? You don't get it? You get angry. You want a good family? You don't get it? You get depressed. You want a fulfilling job? You don't get it? You get anxious. Even food, you're, you're hungry because you want to eat. That's what Buddhism is saying. And so the solution, according to, to this philosophy, is to let go of any desires that you have. Therefore, you meditate. You remove all your desires. You push out all your desires. Let go of anything good that this world is offering, and you will find, uh, you will find and you will reach nirvana, a complete satisfaction because you have no desires left. So Buddhism tells you your problem is you have too many desires. Let go of that and you will find peace, nirvana. But see, Christianity says something different. Christianity says the problem is that we don't desire enough. The Bible says your problem is you, your desire is too small. And so we're, we're wanting so much and so many different stuff because we're trying to satisfy a really deep and intense longing that we have. That we're looking for a better and more fulfilling intimacy and relationship. That we're, we're wanting prestige and power and fame to make us known and make us feel important. That we're, we're trying to hoard wealth because we want to make sure that we are in control and we are secure. And we're seeking youth. We're seeking immortality because we are trying to seek eternity. And so we're all trying to find solution. We're all looking for all these things that the world is offering, but the world cannot give us the solution. And this is why the secret to contentment is something that you need to learn. It's not obvious. You cannot find it yourself. And the Bible tells us that God has revealed this mystery, this secret, which is the gospel. Because the gospel says, or the good news tells us, that God has everything. He has everything that he needs. He has power. He has prestige. He has wealth. He has eternity. He's, he's got everything in heaven. And yet, the bad news is, he doesn't have you. He doesn't have you. And he wants you. And so what he did, he gave up heaven. He laid down his power. He, he became shamed and ridiculed, giving up his prestige. He even gave up his immortality by, by dying. Why? So that he can redeem you. Out of love, he gives you a second ch chance to find true contentment in him. That the secret to contentment is not wanting lesser things, but it's actually wanting something bigger and better. That the secret is to realize that the reason we have all these desires is because we were created to be satisfied with something that is much more and something that is eternal. And that is God himself. And so God came down. He became man. He experienced all our temptations, and yet he did not sin. So that his perfection can be given to us. So that God can come into our life. So that he can give us the security that we're all looking for. He can give us the significance that we're all craving for. And the satisfaction that we're all desiring. 
See, with God in our life, we can pray Psalm 73, which says this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Now, it doesn't come automatically, and that's why we have to learn it. See, the first one is easy to say. Whom have I in heaven but you? That's easy. But one day, we'll get to heaven, and we will be completely satisfied being with God face to face. That's our hope. But the second part, oh man, the second part, I'm, I'm still learning that myself. I'm still in that journey to be able to say, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. That we're, whenever we're unhappy, whenever you're discontent, whenever you're bitter, whenever you're miserable, we have to ask ourselves, what is besides God has taken my desires? What's, what besides Jesus Christ has become my salvation, my identity, my joy, my loyalty, or my delight? What idol is capturing my heart? See, it's something that we need to remind, to learn ourselves every day, that God is enough, that only God can truly satisfy our deepest longing, and every day we have a choice, choice between what God is offering and what the world is offering, a choice between the temporary and what is eternal. And Jesus Christ comes to us. He says, I have the water of life. Take me. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for giving us these commandments, not just as rules that we need to abide, rules that we, that we really can't follow, but these are rules to expose our sins, that without you we are nothing. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us obey them, not just for obedience sake, but in our obedience we will see that our greatest joy, our greatest desire, our greatest satisfaction can only be found in you and you alone. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.